0: Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, I was thinking about having a time machine and going back and changing the past. And then I was thinking, butterfly effect, and you know what I'd change? Please tell me. Come on, I'm setting this one up. You haven't set this up at all for me. Newsletter. I subscribe to our newsletter, Charlie. That's what I do. I'm like, how many... We're like almost 100 episodes in and I'm like, I thought you would have figured this out. You were like, first thing I do is I would subscribe to the newsletter. Do
1: you know what? I've, I've thought about it. I was like, I don't know where he's going. He might actually be promoting the other podcast. He might be promoting our bookkeeping service. I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, this this is great because now is a complete lucky dip. I got no, I got no idea. So if you're listening to this and you're like, Grant, I actually have a time machine and I can actually go back in time. Good. Go back in time and head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details. And if you don't have a time machine, just saying maybe now is the best time to go over and put in your details and subscribe to the newsletter. Just saying. Hashtag I've got an
1: idea saying. though. Why are you there? If you did want to listen to the other podcast or get involved with the bookkeeping services, also okay. I said, it's a
0: great idea. I wasn't going to add the complexity of the fact that, hey, well, it was a different name back then, but sure. <laughs> All right. But you know what I think we should do? cue the disclaimer. Let's do it.
1: It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant. Today, we are tackling another Q&A topic from our audience. So a big, big thank you to those that do send in questions. We enjoy reading them and often have rather fun discussions around them off air as well. So uh, if you would like to submit a question, just a quick reminder here. Number one, if you're on the email list, just reply to any email and I'll get that question and add it in. Number two, if you're in the Facebook group and you would like to submit a question, you can definitely do one in there as well. Or number three, just please email me at charlie at businessandinvesting.com and I'll, I'll bring it in that way as well. Now, today's question, I loved this question so much and there were so many points that we're actually going to need to make two episodes. There is no possible way we can fit this into one episode. And it's, Grant, you just don't stop talking, man. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was sitting there, like, the prep on this was like, yeah, that should have been the episode and that should have been the episode.
1: So I have yeah. had to leave points out even doing it across two episodes because I feel like it was such a um, good question. So the question is, what is something you both did that had the biggest impact on your business? Now to take it one level deeper, this person has asked at the early stage of business and then also today. So what we're going to cover in the first episode today is the things that had the biggest impact earlier on in the journey. And in the second episode, which will be released after this one, we'll cover the things from today. So that is the context and setup of what you're going to be listening to and hopefully enjoying today. Now, Grant, did you enjoy prepping for this episode?
0: I won't lie. A lot of the times when I do things like this where I have to reflect back, it definitely opens sore wounds of going, oh, wow, that was a lesson that I had to learn across the journey. And then when I look at the time that I had to learn it, I'm like, would have been nicer if I learned that a little bit earlier.
1: (laughs) I actually really enjoyed this one. Uh, These moments that we're going to bring up or like impact pieces, these were like inflection points for me. Like these are the moments where things like really changed. And I think often at times we can be in like linear mode. We're getting like a little bit of gain. And then every so often something comes across like the internet where it's just like bang and you can see a radical shift in business. So I had a lot of fun in it, a lot of fun.
0: I concur, after I got through the pain. (laughs) I'll just throw it out there. I, I really believe this,
1: that in becoming good at anything, sucking at it in the beginning is part of the process. Totally. Like I haven't met a business owner that has ever like not had to go through some sort of learning experience, we'll call it, along the journey in developing themselves to being the business owner they are today. I actually think the people that avoid the mistakes and the learnings that come with it actually end up the ones that lack progress over the long term. So, sure, you might not have made as many mistakes in year one. Great, congratulations to you. Woo, clap hands. But five years from now, when you didn't have those experiences that built you, the guys that are taking the hits, they're just like much more well-versed. If they really are, they become the strength athletes of the
0: sport. I completely concur.
1: Alright, do you wanna kick this
0: one off? You know what? Maybe. Right. I was gonna say, I'll I'll point this I'm gonna point the spotlight back at you. I'm gonna get you to set the rhythm. All right, I'm so excited. So I'm curious, Charlie. Do you like that? Do you like yeah. that that pure pivot? Hey Charlie, my question to you what is something you did at the early stages of business that had the biggest impact? All right, you ready?
1: All right, it was a Sunday morning. <laughs> And I was sitting in bed and Bianca recommended a book to me by Robert Kiyosaki, not Rich Dad Poor Dad. Absolutely not Rich Dad Poor Dad. Although I enjoyed that book, it isn't the favourite that everyone else seems to be. It was actually a book called The Cash Flow Quadrant. Great book. It's so good. I think it's underappreciated as a side note. I think it's better than uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Notably though, Rich Dad Poor Dad is pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, but that that name appeals to everybody compared to Cash Flow Quadrant. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so cash flow quadrant
0: is specific for business owners.
1: I think yep. is probably the key differential here. Now, to give the context of the book, the book basically describes the difference between someone who's an employee or self-employed versus someone who is an investor and a business owner. And the key construct of it is how your time is owned. So if you're an employee or you're self-employed, you stop, money stops. But if you're an investor or a business owner, right? well, you can stop, money still work. So you've got money invested, the assets are working for you. Or uh, if you have a business and you've got a team that will operate the business, well, they're operating it and you're the business owner. Yep. Now, to this point, I was delusional in thinking I was a business owner. Right. So up until here, you asked me what I did. I would tell you and you could put me on a lie detector, Charlie, you're a business owner. Yes, yes, I am.
0: Where's my awards? <laughs> <laughs> I've got one that's on my wall, says entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> so you're certified. You're certified. So I'm, my friend. I got a stamp. I got a stamp that says I am. So yes. Okay. So, so I read you th-
1: felt like you weren't. I read this book and I'm sitting there and like hours are passing. I couldn't put it down. And eventually, the moment came and I threw the book at the wall. And why would you throw this book at the wall? Because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I wasn't a business owner. I was actually self-employed. And what I had done is essentially built myself into a business that couldn't operate without me. Now, the challenges I was experiencing was the business was growing and the whole game was just Charlie, run faster, run faster, run faster. Now, I had team at this time, but what I had constructed was this way of like everything had to run through me to get done. So let's say, you know, we'll use a simple example here. We're going to make a website. Why not? It'd be like, all right, cool. So the graphic designer would make the design, but then he had to send it to me before I would send it to the developer. And the developer would then worked with me to go back to the graphic design to get the edits done. And then we'd go get a writer to talk to this. And like, you, you can see the levels of complexity building. Totally. Right, where it's not like I said, team, build a website and they took care of it. It was, oh shit, Charlie's doing everything and micromanaging everyone. And this is you being self-employed. Now, there's nothing wrong with being self-employed if you want to be self-employed, But if you were as delusional as I was, you think that what you're doing is you're a business owner and it's going to lead to that. But fundamentally, the way I had set this business up was wrong. Absolutely wrong. Now, the second I worked that out and understood what it was to be a business owner, well, now I could make change to it. Change in a huge way. And I'm going to give a shout out to this. The guy who helped me the most with this was a guy called Dave Jennings. Now, he had an SEO company at the time and I was doing a variety of bullshit. Let's just put it in that category. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll put it out there. We'll come back to that point maybe later on. But Dave was kite surfing a couple of days a week or windsurfing. I'm not sure what the actual apparatus of the sport is, but like his lifestyle was dramatically better than mine. He had a very similar business We're both agency owners. I'm like, this dude knows something I don't. He set it up as a business and I've set it up as a self-employed operation. And I went and worked with Dave. I paid him to mentor me and help me on some things. And he um, changed my world, like absolutely changed my world in like what it was to run a business as a business owner. And that's what enabled the foundation of actually being able to grow something past myself. Now, if that moment didn't ever happen, if I didn't actually construct the idea of building a business rather than uh, building a self-employed operation, Charlie doesn't get to where he does today. Like that was the bedrock it was built upon. And just as a quick side note, Dave was so good at that, he's literally gone on to write the book on systemizing businesses. Systemologist. Like, like you Systemology. can go and work with Dave and get system, uh, certified as a systemologist. Um, and you say, Charlie, he's, like, that's pretty full on. Literally, I kid you not, Michael Gerber, the guy who wrote the e-myth, now works with Dave. That's how good he is at those things. So I was very, very fortunate to have him in proximity but that was in the early stages, undoubtedly one of the most fundamental changes that got me.
0: How amazing because I've I've been fortunate enough to see you through most of that journey and one thing that you continue to reflect on right now is the difference between like being self-employed and being a business owner. <laughs> like it has deep-seated this side of you so much that you've taken that one lesson for I don't know, call it like a decade now <laughs> of just going. No, nah. am I self-employed or a business owner? Am I self-employed or a business owner? Well, I, right. the one that kind of rubs up against me a little bit.
1: I'm self-employed by this podcast, right? What? I'm I'm actually trying to be in this and and do this. So I could, you know, would this podcast work if we hired the other talent? And I think that's where the differential is. When people set up businesses, like sometimes you want to be doing things within your business. It's okay to be self-employed in a podcast if that's your goal, but it's that delusional aspect. It's when you're running a business self-employed, not realizing it, that the real danger
0: occurs. And so your biggest impact was like the awareness piece to the actions that you were taking and how that helped you scale well beyond yourself and, and continue on from that.
1: Can I use an analogy? Let's do it. All right, I want you to imagine, and I'm going to use a fitness one here, is that um, I'm getting up every day running a marathon, right, which is what I was doing, thinking it was going to put muscle on me. All right. so I'm waking up, I'm running my marathon, and, like, I'm thinking, oh, one day I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> All right, so you can see the delusion. <laughs> yeah. And then I meet Dave, who's lifting weights and smashing protein, and then, and it's like, well, if I fundamentally change the operating system underneath, or well, when I take on the approach that Dave has, well, suddenly I'm making progress towards that. So, to go even further than that, the real symptom I was experiencing at the time is I was just like locked at a level of growth. Like, I think I was making like five grand a month, maybe at that time, and didn't have the ability to scale it. So, that became the limiter within that. So, just in the idea that if I'm, you know, running a marathon every day, like, what real chance do I have of stacking on more muscle? Like you might try and eat more food or something like that, but it's not an approach to build muscle if that is the goal, where when you change the framework and like operating system you run with and adopt that idea of, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, isn't there like a Bible of bodybuilding? (laughs) Encyclopedia of bodybuilding, that's the the one.
0: The Almanac. Yeah, well, now suddenly
1: you can grow into that if that's what you're going for. Where a lot of people and I, I see this quite commonly, and I'm sure you do at times, they stay in that self-employed mode and just keep pushing up against it, and they end up so busy, so so busy that their life is just an absolute grind. Yeah, and never get out of it,
0: dude. Well, we can finish the podcast now. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> now I kind of feel bad getting you to go first. I was thought I was trying to stump you. I was going to say like, trip you up. I put it out there, match that. I was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, uh, you want to do your second one too? <laughs> no, no, no! I want to hear Grant's ones. All right, let just, me just quickly. I'm literally going to put on my notes,
0: reread the Cashflow
1: Quadrant. You know what's cool.
0: funny? I actually reread it. It would have been 12 months ago. I was on the beach in Gold Coast, rereading Cashflow Quadrant. <sighs> that book. I even think I sent you a screenshot and I'm like photo of it. I'm like, dude, get. Kidd- yeah, I think, do you
1: know, know what? I saw the photo and I think instantly what, what went through my mind is, screw this guy. He sent me a photo from a beach while I'm here. <laughs> 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 Just ignore the book. Like, what the fuck what is this
0: book? Anyway, your point. All right. So, uh, Charlie, I have a question for you. When you first started running a business, imagine you haven't spoken to any other business only, like, I need to run a business. You started running a business. How did you think about pricing? Terribly. Awesome. Fantastic. So imagine this. I've gone through university degree around like, business and being an entrepreneur and there was not a subject talking about pricing. Wait, you're, are you serious? No, yeah, there's never really talked about pricing or anything like that. Like, there was I would, a I would lot actually that think that, that's pretty critical. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot that course didn't talk about. <laughs> but we can dive into that a little bit later and maybe there was and i just didn't rock out, which probably describes a lot about my university degree but we'll go with there was I laugh
1: that. if your university teacher hears this is like, that,
0: that little shit he was <laughs> didn't show up <laughs> this guy this guy anyway so uh whilst there is at university um, we did a project which i've shared before around like you have to start a business and i built a website using nothing but outsources shout out to tim ferriss for our work week that helped trigger that all right, so
1: just to, just to set an idea, in your first business, you were doing like using a Philippines outsourced team to
0: build websites, they were building the sites and then you were selling them in Australia to local businesses or something. Well, so I actually built one for myself to run as a business and then that thing got done by Russian spam bots. And so I'm like, well, maybe I just sell websites to other people, Charlie. And I said to myself, yeah, what's the most logical thing? I'm like, if I can go and take requirements from someone like Charlie and uh, disseminate that out into a brief and then send that to people overseas, what would be a good price on that? So I did what most logical business owners would do and I just doubled it. So I'm like, well, this people says that it's going to cost me $1,000. <laughs> I have, to, I have to laugh. That's exactly how I did my pricing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all
1: right, it costs us this, double it. seems
0: reasonable. I'm like, butter me up. Like, I'm down with that. I'm like... Cost me a thousand bucks, charge two thousand bucks, I'll keep a thousand. Everyone's going to be happy. They're happy, I'm happy, clients happy. Things that I didn't factor in was waking up super early in the morning to emails going, Where's my website? Things taking 20, 30, 40, 50% longer than anticipated are costing 20, 30, 40% more than anticipated, and uh, a whole heap of variations after it, to which my $2,000. 000- <laughs> What about – did the tax thing ever get you as well? Oh, and it's tax, Charlie. You, you include things that you don't need to include. So, yeah, so let's run this through because I think this is interesting because
1: I'm just laughing as I say this. I did the same thing. And let's say you, you charge someone – let's say you cost you $1,000 for a website. You charge someone two. But then you're not factoring in the meetings, the emails, the scope, the blowouts and costs. All these things, and then you get you get to the end, and you're like, "All right, I've made it through." And then tax comes into it. You say, "Boom! What? You're fifty percent that you thought you were going to make." So in your head, you're thinking, oh,
0: "I would have made a thousand dollars."
1: Ends up being like two hundred bucks.
0: Totally. But when you're when you're in it, the the creeping of scope to keep a client happy. I'm like, you know what? I'm happy to give you an extra hundred bucks to build that little thing because the client's gonna be so happy. And the client's like, oh, it's taking a bit longer. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pay like a little bit more to have the team like on a weekend. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just eating into the profit margin. But you're right. On the other side, there's like the GST and then the personal income tax. So anyway, I did that for a whole heap of websites, which is a great way not to make money until I sat down and I really looked at going, well, how much do I actually make each month? (laughs) Like, How many websites do I actually need to sell in order to be completely profitable? Let's put it this way, Charlie. I felt completely deflated and realised that the business was not going to work. So uh, I, I still remember. This was that day. a sobering day? I was it's it depressing, was, it was isn't def- it? It was definitely an internal day, Charlie. It was not a. It was not a. Today is a sunshine, bright and happy day. It was a. Today I will wallow in my own filth day. <laughs> was, I, I had that actually. day also.
1: Shower was optional. Wait, I'll take it even further. I literally can remember the couch I was laying on with a tub of the cookies and cream connoisseurs (laughs) ice cream.
0: (laughs) Just just like, I'm not that bad. So anyway, uh, long story short, uh, I feel deflated. I'm like, fuck this business thing. Ain't no one making money here. Employees look great. Uh, And I actually turned to uh, a friend of mine who was – like 25 years older than me, and I was sort of shared to him a little bit about my pain, and he was running a company where they basically were providing project management resources to other businesses. And I'm like, well, how do you do your pricing, right? I'm like, you can't be too different. Like, I've just got web guys, graphic design guys, and you just got project managers. I'm like, sure, yours are onshore, mine are offshore, but how does this thing work? And he's like, well the greatest thing for us is that we look at the cost of the overall project and we try and price ourselves in. And there is a very basic equation that we use as a business to know if it's going to be worth it or not. And it's the equation of thirds. My equation of thirds, all right, tell me, give all of the information to me. And he's like, well, Grant, it's very simple. One third, no more than one third can be your delivery costs. So if I'm putting a project manager on a site, is like whatever I charge, I need to be covering that as a third. The admin marketing, sales, and running of the business is the other third. And the final third is the profits for the business. And I looked at this and like sales, marketing, admin, finance costs. <laughs> I'm like those things, I'm like, this is outrageous. And so what happened? Well, then I kind of took all that and sort of looked back back into what I was doing. And at the time, I'm like, I don't have a network to sell these kind of higher price products to. And I actually partnered up with a gentleman that you've met before, a guy called Alan Peck. And I moseyed onto him and I kind of outlined like, hey, this is a bit challenging. And he's like, oh, well, man, I get heaps of people that want me to help them with their marketing, uh, but I don't have anyone to help with branding and to help with building websites and stuff. He's like, why don't you just kind of jump on? And yeah, and so funnily enough, we were, he was selling them and I was just taking a, a clip off the ticket where instead of charging two grand for websites, I think one of the final ones that we did was like, that him and I did together, I think it was like 15 grand, give or take. And I'm like, there's a lot better pricing, <laughs> a lot better profit margin on the back of that. And so, yeah, for me, like the biggest change, and the biggest impact was this concept of like value-based pricing. It was this idea that um, there is a better way to price the products and services that you are offering that people are willing to pay. (laughs) Can can (laughs) we unpack this a little bit further? Totally.
1: Yeah, so let's use the initial idea of like you're paying $1,000 to get a website built and then you're selling it for two through your network or whatever you're doing. Then you go and partner up with um, Alan in this example. Now you're using the same team to build these websites and potentially having that $1,000 pricing. Right, so in this example, but in this, he was able to sell it, and you were selling him for fifteen. So you've gone from selling something for at a thousand dollars to selling it at fifteen thousand dollars, or sorry, two thousand dollars to selling it at fifteen thousand dollars. What was the difference?
0: I was making profit. <laughs> no, it was, uh, and this leads back to something I've spoken about quite a quite a bit that I was actually going to bring up on here was the value of. Uh, like sales and marketing in your business because that was the only difference. The only difference was that he had a teledex of people that like had successful businesses and had money to spare. And so it was like, yeah, sure. Like these guys want new branding. <laughs> like and they've got money to spend. And that was the big part that I felt like I wasn't able to provide. Like I just did not price according to that bracket because everyone I knew was startups, Charlie. Imagine imagine my network. They're all university students. They all like, had the money that they'd save from their jobs. And I'm like, that's that must be the world of where people are willing to pay for websites <laughs> as opposed to what about all of the other successful businesses that would actually pay according to my skill set. <laughs> <I fear you. laughs> but don't you like, going back to my point, don't you go back to those stories and just go, how did you think that that was going to be a sustainable way to run a business?
1: I'll share some different insights on this that I had, just different experiences. So for me, what I concluded really quickly when I was doing websites is this is a terrible game. This is actually a terrible game. And for anyone who's been successful in website development, good on you. You are a stronger uh, business owner than I am. But I noticed when I did websites, what would happen is I would um, send out a price and then people would price shop it. Like they would really price shop it down and, um, I didn't enjoy that. And then the nature of the work is it's a one-off project and there's very rarely recurring in that world. unless there's like care plans and things like that now. But when I stepped into ads, right, so when I really went hard and made ads my focus, I noticed people didn't price me like in that same way. They very much priced me on like ROI, So, I would go in and they're like, cool. So, you're telling me you're going to charge me three grand uh, for your services. We're going to spend three grand on ad spend. And then the return on investment is going to be that we expect to make another six. So, I'm going to spend six with you. I'm going to get 12 back. And "And then I would say, yes. And they'd like, sign me up. So, for, for me, when I stepped into this pricing arena, that value based pricing for ads, right? Because everything is ROI driven, we quickly realized that as long as you can produce an ROI, your cost basis didn't matter at all. Like people didn't actually care about the idea of like, well, how much, what's you costing here? It might've cost me 10 bucks to deliver a campaign, but if they were making that ROI, they'd just keep spending money with us. And it was more about the ability to do that that drove success in pricing for me. With that website game, um, and don't get me wrong, there's probably people out there that were able to charge based on values in websites as well. But my finding was that it was just very much treated differently, very, very differently.
0: I I found out why because I moved to the SEO game with, to your point, the business model fundamentally challenged where if you look at the internal conversation of uh, organizations looking to buy a website, it's a one-off project. In their mind, it's just like this, cool, what's the budget? All right, we'll spend that budget. But when you go to like marketing as a service, it's like they have the budget for every month. <laughs> it's not like a one-off. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to spend some money and that's going to be my leads forever.
1: But it's totally it easy like. to justify as well. It's like, cool, spend six, get 12 back. If that yeah. happens, it's like, cool, keep spending money. I think it's a very easy proposition for a business owner to get over. By the way, if anyone can have me spend six grand and give me 12 back every
0: month, I'll sign up right now. <laughs> ping us, ping us yeah. hit the reply button. <laughs> but you're, you're verging on my second point. So... We shan't go too far. Should we go
1: on to your second point, though?
0: No, no, no. I feel like I'm, I'm going to shine the spotlight back to you. I'm going to keep – this is called marketing, Charlie. It keeps the listener wanting to listen to more. Do you know what's funny so far is like we've covered
1: some things and I, I'm enjoying this episode a lot, Grant. I will say <laughs> like the pricing mistakes
0: I've made over the years. <laughs> My objective is now just to keep opening your wounds and making you feel your pain. These aren't wounds. These are um, moments of clarity,
1: impact moments
0: mistakes got it all right your next mistake
1: <laughs> all right impact moment number two i'm gonna
0: go <sighs> all right for anyone who's listening to this i've just put it out so we've got a we've got a google doc in front of us and we've got just these lists of things and charlie's trying to figure out the next best one <laughs> it's totally a competition it is but they've been all of these have been hugely I'm impactful. I
1: might reason. even share the rest of the list uh, with things in itself. All right so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my uh, number two, what had the biggest impact on me um, here. Oh, I still was struggling to pick I'm um, really I'm like, what can I follow up from point number one? I feel like I nailed that one. You did nail that one. All right, point number two, I'm gonna chuck in here. what made a huge difference, a mo- monstrumental difference in the beginning? is getting really good at something the market values. (laughs) And to put it on a bumper sticker, as our friend Keith would say, niche rhymes with rich for a reason.
0: Americans Always going to love Americans.
1: Yeah. And um, I'll follow on from the story I kind of started earlier here is like, if you imagine that I was running this agency as a self-employed person, right? I was also taking on a wide variety of things. So even though I had initially uh, done websites and even some SEO, which I
0: wouldn't even say we did SEO, what we more did was butchering. I was going to say, I'm like, I would love to order your SEO and then just have one up on you. Easily. (laughs) We weren't good at it.
1: We offered it, but definitely. We're doing emails. we were doing – I did an app at one stage.
0: (laughs) I remember that story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I was sold into the idea that if you can get a client and service them in multiple ways – that you would be able to grow your business, right? And makes sense. Like Nike, you know, sells a variety of products. If they just sell shoes, like they miss the opportunity to sell them T-shirts. Like there's there's stuff within that that's, I think, fascinating. So when it came time for me to go niche, I niched one level and then went to ads, right? And just to highlight a point there, the challenge with serving too wide a variety of of services is the different team you need to deliver it. Like you need so many different people if you're going to deliver all those things that that became a bit of a nightmare. So when we focused in on ads, right, what occurred is I only needed one specific team so we could streamline the hiring because I had this business owner mindset now, right? So I'm, I'm looking at this going, I'm going to build an ad system and all the rest. Now the layer on top of that, that really like set things apart is we got really good at specific types of ads, right? We became the industry leaders in a certain type of ad. And once we got known for that, they all talked to each other and then suddenly everyone wanted to use us. And to kind of uh, allude into a point you made earlier, then we were able to price things at a really high level. And when that occurred where we had a niche, an industry we worked with, and something we specialized in, that's when the business really started to take shape and like take off in a bigger way. So... That, as a like impact point of having people kind of think through, is what took the agency from doing, let's say, twenty thousand dollars a month to doing a hundred grand a month. Mm. So, huge, huge insight on that. That's what like unlocked the limits there.
0: Did you niche into an industry? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, I would say, kind of. We definitely ended up with what I would call, uh, so. I'll say, and when I say kind of, because it wasn't one specific industry, but it's like we went uh, Facebook ads and okay. then we went for people, services and digital products. No right. e commerce, no local businesses. Like that's the stuff we got away with. So at the time, Facebook ads wasn't as niche as it is today, where that was kind of enough to what made us sep- um, separate from other people.
0: Because there's there's two layers to this one. And I, I, I really like this point because you're really talking about the concept of, uh, providing like something specific that someone's looking for. So it's lies. A lot of these people will go in their mind. It'd be there is value. There seems to be value in Facebook ads. We need someone who is a specialist at Facebook ads. Don't go and get someone generic. Who's not going to be good at the thing and pop up. Here comes Charlie. <clears throat> but the interesting thing layering over the conversation we just had as well is it's also the thing that people value the most. Like it, it is a sought after commodity. It is well, it wasn't lying. a
1: commodity yet. certainly becoming one. I, I yeah. assume at that point. So I was at an event, uh, Ben Simkin Mastermind event, which was sensational. I met um, Bond Helbert there. So Bond Helbert is the son of Gary Helbert, the great copywriter. And I'd, I'd argue Bond's a damn good copywriter as well. Now, he gets up at the start of this event and he says, do you want to know the secret? It's like, do you want to know the secret that will literally make everything you do in business, like every piece of copy will convert better, every sales call convert better. Like I'm licking my lips at this point going, Bond, what's the secret? He's like, you ready? I'm like. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And he did this thing that I'm doing now where he's intentionally like holding the point, Shh. building the suspense. <laughs> and, and then he said, sell things people want to buy. He's <laughs> <laughs> like the problem most of you rub up against is you're trying to force products and services onto people that they either don't want kind of want. And he's and he's that like, that's where you get confused. And he goes, for those of you that are in the kind of want category, you're the most dangerous because you think people want your stuff. And he's like, when you can align what people want with the market, you don't even have to be that good at copy to get it to convert. Yeah. And he goes, Too many of you spend all your time in business trying to like and he's a copywriter, right? So polishing up, you know, writing these copies, trying to like Go to make your copywriting the next level when in reality the thing that would make the biggest difference is having something people want to consume or want to buy. And that was the moment that kind of hit me really hard into that point. So, like, that was the very key moment there. So, coming back to the like where we're at in this stage here and layering it into this story, from there, I knew people wanted to buy Facebook ads. Like It was the hot thing like TikTok ads is the hot thing today or like Bitcoin was the hot thing at one point in time. So when you're in those hot niches, it really does make such a significant difference to how business performs. It does. Totally.
0: It's funny. I reckon this is just evolving into a third point, by the way. And we, we could both have a half a point for this one. I'll give you <laughs> half. I'm, I'm going to keep pulling on this one. I The amount of business owners that I've spoken to, it, Who have created a product that they really, 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 really want? Like, how many personal trainers have you seen that come out with their own sort of fitness attire or, or like fitness app and things like like that? I like two or three. That's it. (laughs) There's like, but it was perfect for them. Um, I would argue that the first iteration of the project management software that I'd built was perfect for myself and the two other founders, not for the market. Right, and this is wait.
1: The, then it went really well. Then people. No, and then off? we
0: started unpicking it <laughs> to go and make it supportive of everybody else. So, um, but it comes back to the you've, you've built a solution, and now you're looking for a problem, as opposed to like actually identifying a problem and then like providing the people the solution for it. And every can, time, can I, I say, use some examples here? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going. You go for it. Go for it. Uh,
1: this is like uh, there's so many good ones. It's like the crappy hot dog van out the front that of a nightclub. Exactly what I was
0: going to say, dive into
1: it. Doesn't have the best food, but at 3 a.m. out of a nightclub when people are starving for something, damn sure he's busy. He's packed. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the notion of when the product and service isn't actually good but the demand is so strong. He has something people want so badly that it's like that's the overcoming thing. But the converse of that is that most business owners focus on the product, and I'm not saying you shouldn't focus on the product, but the idea is that they're focused in on that solution instead of what people actually want.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that w- that was a massive thing for me where, and I, I find people still do that to this day. Even veteran business owners are still, they love this idea of this solution. And it's like, now I have a solution looking for a problem. You need to go the other way. You need to find to that point of the, of the kebab sand. Stop and crowd, Charlie. Stop crowd.
1: Well, would you rather
0: be selling cups of
1: water to Eskimos who have? perceivably a large amount of water available to them or to people that are coming out of the desert thirsty. Totally. And that's where it gets really powerful. And then uh, I, and kind of looping this one back in is going, especially if you're known that in this example, your water is better than other people's water. So even if there's a few other people out there kind of offering water, they'll gravitate towards you.
0: Because my unique advantage is my water tastes a little bit better. I, I would argue that's true. <laughs> it's great water. All right. I'm going to go to my next point. Do this one. All right. Anyway, so this is really interesting. So at a similar time to my inability to price websites Charlie <laughs> I then looked at going, well what is the difference between these people willing to pay 15,000 and and we at the start we had clients for like six, seven, eight thousand. 8,000. Uh the 15,000 was like the the story that was burnt into the back of my mind because i loved it, profit was great, everything was good. I'm like, what is the difference here? Like, why? Like, obviously, I alluded before that, well, I had a network of university students where Al had a bigger network of other people. I'm like, they're just businesses, Charlie. And at that time, I was sitting there. I'm like, I can't be all reliant on Alan. I can't, like, his volume is not the volume that I need. So I'm going to have to go out and I'm going to have to try and resell these things. So anyway, I went out and after my new gusto I sold an orthodontist on a new website. And so I'm like, yep, I'm going to price accordingly. And then this guy had a tiny budget. And so he's like, sure, I'll pay at the time. I think I charged him like three grand or something. And he's like, but you're going to be writing the content. You're going to be writing all this stuff. And he just had this list. And I'm like, sure, profit margin seems good. No worries at all. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I just had not factored it in. But then I'm like, so then I'd finished that project and I was in the same spot again. I'm like, I've done it again. What the, what, what the is the difference between what I'm doing versus the clients that Al's got? And I remember still sitting there at the coffee club in Knox City with Alan Peck. And I'm like, I was explaining to him this orthodontic story. I'm like, I was like pulling teeth. It was worse. I'd had more calls. I'd, I, I actually ended up canceling the project. Like I just did not do it.
1: Side note. Dentists are notoriously
0: not good clients for digital agency owners.
1: It's a thing in the industry. But anyway, continue
0: on. (laughs) I just keep finding all these hand grenades. That explains my journey. So what he said is like, so if you look at the clients that him and I were working on, is like the quality of the businesses are fundamental businesses. It's like they're built up, they got profit, and they understand the value of what we're going to provide over someone else who doesn't understand the value, who thinks they're super creative. And I'm like, can you can you explain that further? And he's like, okay, so imagine a business that's doing $100 million a year in revenue versus a dentist that might be doing a couple of million dollars in revenue. And he's like, what do you think is their benchmark of expenses? How much do you think they're willing to pay on a website? How much, How close do you really think they're going to get to This website needs to be this beautiful. This needs to look like this as a business owner. He's like, you're not even talking to them. He's talking to the marketing department. He's like, which is so far disconnected where they just want the outcome. And it was this huge aha moment where it was like, where I was fishing for clients and the quality of clients that I was getting was just not even connected. And so literally when I started going and building websites and when I moved into doing SEO, which was like my business improvement uh, I was going, well, where are the businesses that are making 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 million plus a year, and how do I get them to want a website from me?" And that was actually the biggest difference, because funnily enough, it turned out that the more they paid, the less they complained. The more that they an paid.
1: Interesting insight.
0: I, it and was, it's such it was a true so one frustrating.: Yeah, So frustrating and annoying, because I, as someone delivering it, costs were the same. I had less meetings, I had less email interactions, profit margins significantly higher, but it it was just the same thing <laughs> packaged to someone just different. And so I, I put it down to one of the biggest sort of impacts that I had was just the quality of clients. Like it was the, the premium clients, like just solving a problem for a premium client just turns out to be better. And I even go a little bit further. I... I dove one layer deeper into why this was. And it ended up being a percentage of their marketing spend. So when I was 100% of their marketing spend, it was always the worst. But if I was like 1% of it, 5% of it, it was the best. Because they were looking at like an aggregation. And so then it went, cool, if you're doing 20 million bucks a year in revenue as a business and I'm going to be a 5 or a 10% spend of your marketing budget, you're my ideal client.
1: It's so interesting, this point. So interesting. Um, I wonder if your finding is the same. So when, when I was doing ads, the cruelty of ads, and this is the cruelty, is it's actually way easier to do ads for bigger organizations. Like not only are they more well-behaved, but the likelihood of them having a good product that's already well-known or um, some marketplace value to run ads on. I'll give you an example. The easiest account in the world to run ads for is probably Apple. Right. Because people already want their stuff. They've got all the, look at how much marketing they've already done. Like anyone, I'll put it out there like a junior media buyer could look like a rock star on their account because there's so much brand value. Or if they're running like Tony Robbins ads, do you know the hardest account to run is like the startup with a limited budget? But yet when you go into the industry, you don't start at Apple or Tony Robbins, right? You feel like you need to build up experience to get to those accounts but the reality is that lower tier is so damn hard that it actually clogs up businesses and destroys profit in a really big way so that who you serve on that spectrum actually discerns not only how hard the work is how well the um, how well you work with the client your interactions how they value things how they work as an organization so it ends up really backwards it's yeah. a really really cruel thing was your finding the same
0: It it, it totally was. But I I still remember I had, it was one of the largest crane hire companies in Australia. I had them as a client and they'd never email me. They'd never talk about anything. Like it was just like, yep, cool. Thanks. Tick, 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 tick. And the best thing that they had was a whole heap of billboards went up. They had TV ads running. And then like this little website and sort of uh, SEO component was just like this little fraction. (laughs) Of what their overall spend was. And I'm like, this is great because all these news articles are talking about the website. So it's ranking well and I don't need to do all these other things. I'm like, this is fantastic. How do I just get more of them? And so I completely concur versus someone who's like, oh, my website's brand spanking new. And if there's if, if what you do, Charlie, does not work, I'm close to the business.
1: <laughs> so, so to make this the like the point or the impact for someone who's listening to this,
0: client selection. Totally. If you if you took Value pra- uh, value-based value pricing overlapped your concept of niche with markets of value what you provide and just went a really good quality of client you could evaporate like three years of my learning like if, if you just say Grant just do these things for the, these four things that like literally when I have run through fundamentally different outcome quicker
1: yeah <laughs> I, I concur I mean this is particularly applicable to like uh, services right so when I look at it, but and to add layers to that as well, I can see this would be applicable if you're in products. Maybe it's a type of product you offer. To-
0: totally. Like if you were, uh, even if you're in software, it's the same thing. Like if you go for bigger businesses. Like about yeah, a
1: certain tier of client may totally. need more support than a uh, another. Or you might be better off developing a premium solution and charging more for it than trying to go the mass appeal of a lower run $7 subscription in that example. Exactly, exactly.
0: So, yes. You got one for us? Oh, we
1: keep. We, as I was going to say, I thought you might wrap me up
0: on this one. No, no, I'm was, curious. I was curious if you got one more. I felt like I did really well on that one. So, I'm giving you the opportunity to uh, dive in. All right, we'll do one more. We'll all do right. one more. <laughs> the one
1: I will add into here that I think had a massive impact later on when it comes to business, like inflection point, undoubtedly relationships. Ah,
0: never mind. I'm glad you brought this one up.
1: Yeah, the, and I'll put this into one category, although I'm going to wrap this one really quickly because I think everyone's like, knows this one.
0: Or <laughs> well, they will be reminded of it.
1: Yeah, but who you spend time with from not only like peers, mentors, like that whole arena of things just had such a pivotal impact. So I use an example here. Early on in the journey, I joined uh, Ben Simpkins Mastermind, right? And going into that group accelerated my ability to, get better at ads. So technically within the business, it set bounds of how we could be better at our product, which was instrumental on the point I made earlier. Um, number two is it gave me confidence. And I think confidence is under underweighted when it comes to being earlier in business. So I'm like, hang on a second, there's all these other guys in this room charging three, five, 10 grand for services. Well, I can do that too. What's different about them versus me? So I'd like normalize the results to when I started doing things with clients. It's like, no, no, this is how it's done where there was a huge amount of uncertainty and doubt in my mind when I was earlier on in the journey. So that whole collective group gave me confidence. And then thirdly is the idea that, well, if I make a mistake here, there's now an insurance policy. So I very much like saw, and I I even said this to Ben at one point, I'm like, I pay this because it's like paying insurance. Like if I absolutely butcher an ad account, I'm confident someone in here will be able to fix it. And again, that just added to the whole confidence layer. Where if I was doing those things alone, I think that whole cycle just never would have happened at all.
0: Well, I can, I can tell you from the other side of the fence, I didn't do that at the start. And the only comparison that I had off the, to talk about like the value on that to when you mentioned pricing was my interpretation of it. And then my value, my perceived in my own personal perception of my own personal value that I was providing, which I had no experience across anything. And I'm like, it is, nah, maybe three out of 10. But when you get to walk into a room of other people who are doing the thing and you're like, wait, I know as much, if not more, than all of these people and they're charging three times more or, or two times more. Wait a second. Maybe I'm undervaluing <laughs> myself on this as opposed to not. I, I think. I'm, I'm actually glad you brought this up because I think this is one of those big inflection points because the, the ch- difference for me was like talking to the owl, talking to the mark and them going, you're just pricing this wrong and you're just hanging out in the wrong spots. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where were you? So yeah, relationships wrong. are massive, massive. Let's round this one out. Let's wrap it up. I feel, like, how, I feel like I'd write this episode like a 9 out of 10, Charlie. I think we did really well. Maybe it's hard to
1: tell if this was therapy for us and that's why we actually like it or if it offered value to the audience. They get to decide that.
0: I'll give it a 9 out of 10. If you listen to this and you're like, I can't wait to hear these guys talk about the next round, which is the things that have made the biggest impact as of right now, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and we will notify you the second the next episode will be coming out. I just want to say thank you very much again for joining us and we'll catch you on the next episode of Business and Investing.